So this year as a church, uh, we're exploring what it looks like uh, for us to cultivate intimacy with God. And as a part of that exploration, we've been going through uh, the book of Exodus in a series that we were calling Deliverance. And if you've been here, you'll know that what we've been learning is that the whole point of the Exodus story is that God would, would live with his people. But first, for that to happen, he has to free them from the systems and the places that they're enslaved to. He has to actually free them from Pharaoh and Egypt. And once this happened, uh, they become a free people to be who and what God created them to be. And what God created them to be was his own special possession in a kingdom of priests and, and a holy nation. And it was in the wilderness where they're learning how to be a people of God and they're learning what exactly that looks like. And so as we uh, continue our way through Exodus today, um, we, we are going to find ourselves at, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this is where God is giving them the Ten Commandments. And as we start to look at the Ten Commandments, we're actually going, uh, we're, today we're going to actually start with the Fourth and Fifth Commandment. And if you're wondering why not start with the first three, uh, there is a reason for that. Um, we were actually supposed to get to those last week uh, in Dave's sermon, but we just we weren't able to get there. Uh, but for context, um, Commandment 1 you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, commandment two, you shall not make for yourselves any image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth. And commandment three is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And so essentially, this is, this is some of what we've been actually learning uh, in this series up until this point. And if you haven't been here, you haven't had a chance to uh, hear any of the more recent sermons, I definitely encourage you to go back and um, check them out on our website. So, if you would uh, turn in your Bible to Exodus 20, we're going to be reading uh, verses 8 through 12. And if you need a Bible, uh, look for an usher. They'll be more than happy to give you one. Um, they're free. Yours to take home. Nothing beats free 99. So, so that's Exodus um, 20, verses 8 through 12. And the words will be on the screen behind me. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, I, I just pray that this morning, as we draw near to you, Lord God, in worship and prayer, God, I pray that you would draw near to us as your people. God, we are here today because we love you and we want to worship you as a family. We want to be a proper and righteous reflection of who you are. But we need your help, God. We need your grace and we need your wisdom. So God, as today as we reflect and meditate on your word, would you open our eyes, Lord? Show us how to be a people um, who are set apart as your special possession so that we may bring you glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, here in the text uh, this morning, we, we, again, we find ourselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses has gone up to the mountain to meet with God and comes down uh, with the famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, Ten Commandments. And I think that we often look at the Ten Commandments as a long list of do's and don'ts, usually more don'ts than do's. And in our faith, we actually often will boil our faith down to a list of do's and don'ts. And we will regard the Ten Commandments as, as the big thou shalt nots of, uh, of our religion. But what I want to do in our time this morning is I actually want to take a step back and I want to look at the Ten Commandments contextually in the story of Exodus. And what we see is that God is shaping Israel uh, into being a certain kind of people in the world. And specifically, he's shaping them to be a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. And if you were here last week, you'll remember... Um, that, that when we say uh, holy, what that means is, is to be set apart. And, and to be a priest, it means that they were to represent God and who God is to the world. So then when we look at the Ten Commandments, uh, within the context of the story, we see that the commandments aren't really so much about what Israel shouldn't do, but they're really more about what and who Israel was supposed to be in the world. I'd like to explain that. For example, we can either read the Ten Commandments as, you shall not commit adultery, or we can read them as saying, my people will be a people who live with sexual integrity. We can read the Ten Commandments as saying, you shall not work on Saturday, or we can read them as saying, you shall be a people who rests one day a week. So in other words, the Ten Commandments were about what Israel was supposed to be as a culture and as a nation. They were, to, they were to be a people who loved God, and this love is demonstrated by living into a culture of rest, a culture of honor, a culture of valuing life, a culture of sexual integrity, a culture of honesty, and so on. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about two of these cultures that they were supposed to live into, a culture of rest and a culture of honor. And so what does it look like to be a people who have a culture of rest and honor? And how does this really uh, enable them to be that holy people, that priesthood for the world? Well, first, let's talk about a culture of rest. How exactly does rest make us holy? I mean, how does that set us apart as God's special possession? I mean, rest can seem like one of those benign things, like, you know, it doesn't seem like like doing nothing would have some sort of like transformative process in our life. In the world that we live in places a lot of value on a lot of things, but rest, I would argue, is not on the top of that list. See, the ways of the world and its demands give us, uh, give us a sense or a feeling like doing nothing uh, has no purpose. It can be seen as lazy, pointless, and a waste of time. We live in a world where there are, are too many important things that have to get done. There are too many important things that need our attention. Instead of playing a high, placing a high value on rest, the world places uh, its value on, uh, and importance on, on actually how busy we are. All of the different things that demand our time. The world does, does not highly value weekly intervals of rest and renewal. So, going back to the question, how does rest make us holy? 
Well, before we answer that question, we, let's look at what rest is. And when I say rest, what I'm referring to is Sabbath rest. This is the rest that God demonstrates and the rest that he invites us into. See, for Israel, Sabbath was a 24-hour period of time where they were called to completely stop all forms of work. And not just them, but it was for their children, their visitors, their servants, pretty much anyone who was with them. And Sabbath would last from sundown Friday night all the way through to sundown Saturday night. And, and this is the time where they were to cease from all forms of work. This was a day that was, was set apart and it was, supposed to, it was supposed to be different than the other six days of the week. And when we Sabbath, when we observe the Sabbath, we too should have one day that's set apart and looks completely different from the other six days of the week. So our, our Sabbath should stand in, in stark contrast to how the other days of the week are spent. This is a day that belongs to God and it has a specific purpose. And that purpose is rest. And the goal of Sabbath rest is for us to be. Not do, but just be. Just to be in the presence of God and to be with God. And in this, we're actually made holy. This is, this is one of the ways that we are, are set apart as God's special possession. We live by rhythms and patterns that are different, that are set apart from the world around us. When we cease from our work and we enter into Sabbath, our time serves a different and specific purpose. Now, in his book this titled The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, he talks about how Sabbath is not a space that we go to, kind of like work or home, but it's, but it's actually a time that we enter into. And he, he says this, there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. See, life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisitions of things of space, becomes our sole concern. And yeah, if we could leave this quote up for a second, I just love this quote. Do you see the difference between the purpose of time when it's with and for God versus the purpose of time when it's with and caters to the world systems? In the realm of, uh, in the realm of space in the world, the goal is to have, to own, to control, to subdue. But in the realm of time with God, it's to be, it's to give, to share, to align. See how radically different these are? When we live according to the world's rhythms and systems and ignore the Sabbath, it's no wonder why we are filled with anxiety and worry all the time. We're concerned about all the things in life that have, have grabbed a hold of us, none of which, by the way, we have complete control over. Sabbath rest helps us to reset. It helps us to remember our identity in God. And when we enter into Sabbath, we bring our hearts, our minds, and our souls into alignment with our Creator. And see, when God invites us into His rest, He invites us into a dimension that resists the work systems of the world. The world systems, they're never satisfied. The world, the, the world systems will never say, thank you, that's enough, you can go home now. It, it won't. Actually, that's not entirely true. 
the only time we'll hear, hear the world's work system say that's enough is if we literally implode or have a breakdown. And then it'll tell you that's enough because we can't be used anymore. See, the world ties our value to our output and our accomplishments. These systems encourage us to pursue these things relentlessly, but not God. In God, our value is found in the fact that we bear his image. And he is the one that assigns us that value. It's based on who we are in him, who he has made us to be. It's not based on our accomplishments or how good we think we are. So at this point in the sermon, I feel like it's starting to sound like the title should have been like, boo, work. Um, but but let, me, let, let me say this. God, God is not at all anti-work, and he's, he's not at all against hard work. In fact, God actually calls us to work hard. And when we work hard and, it's, and display a work ethic, uh, hard work ethic, I think that that brings God's glory. In fact, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. But having said that, God also is not a workaholic, nor does he, he want us to be. Because for many of us, work can become an idol, even in full-time vocational ministry. There is nothing that we do for a living that exempts us from Sabbath and Sabbath rhythms. When we look um, at all of the commandments, we actually can treat um, this Sabbath commandment as optional, almost like forgettable, especially when you like, line it up and compare it to the other commandments, which is um, maybe why God calls us to remember the Sabbath. Because on the surface, it can seem like not that big of a deal, certainly compared to like, don't kill anyone, don't cheat on your wife or husband, right? Remembering the Sabbath seems like God, like maybe he threw that in there to lighten things up. But I will say this, out of all of the commandments, this commandment gets the most airtime. And what I mean by that is that out of all of the commandments, the Lord gives more words in detail to this commandment than the other nine. So if we're, to, if we're giving weight to God's words in the commandment, then this one would certainly be considered the heaviest. See, we are all called to, uh, to remember the Sabbath day. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day. And when God says remember, this isn't like a, hey, don't forget to rest. This is, um, when, when he says remember, these words carried significant purpose and for a reason. So if you saw the words, never forget, what emotion would you feel or what would that evoke in you? And what I want us to do is, is, is take a minute uh, a minute to uh, think back to September 11th, 2001. Do you remember where you were that day? One of the worst days in, in U.S. history, when terrorists uh, hijacked several planes, two of which crashed into the World Trade Center, one of which crashed into the Pentagon in Washington, Washington D.C. And if for some reason you're not old enough to remember that happening, I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, never forget. But for some of us older people, I bet you remember exactly where you were and exactly what you were doing. 
For me at the time, I was working a job in IT, and, and that morning I had to go into work really early in the morning to go help set up a, um, a video uh, conference uh, for some international uh, partners that we were gonna have a call with. And at some point during that morning, I remember hearing uh, from my coworker, and he was like, you know, play man, just a plane just crashed in the World Trade Center. And, and immediately went and turned on the TV. Shortly after that, I remember a second plane crashed in, into the World Trade Center. And I remember all the emotions that I felt that day. My daughter was eight months old. I remember thinking, wow, like the world, just the brokenness of the world all came into focus at that moment. And I think collectively for us as a nation, it was a really defining moment. The worst attack, in, uh, terrorist attack in US history. And if, if, if we were to think back before that experience, you know, flying, the flying experience was totally different. Like you could walk people to the gate you could, like, you know, drive up to the terminal and park and wait for the people to come out. You know, take your time saying goodbye to your loved ones. In fact, the only stressful part about flying back then was if you actually had a fear of flying. Other than that, it was, it was a pretty relaxed experience. But now, whenever I go to the airport and drive through the terminals or see super long lines, I think about that day and how it changed the U.S., and every year on September 11th, we stop, we pause, and we remember that day that changed history. See, this, this event for, for the U.S. was a really defining uh, moment for our nation's history. It altered just the way that we uh, approached the world after that. It definitely changed us forever. And so whenever we see never forget, it will always directly be tied to the day that takes us back to that moment in history. Now, for the Israelites, when they were called to remember, it evoked a major event in their history as well that forever defined who they were. The Sabbath called them to remember. It called them to remember that slavery in Egypt was no longer their identity. Slaves worked every day, but God's people worked six days and they rest on the seventh. They were, they were uh, called to remember that they were free so that they could worship Yahweh their God. They were to remember back to the beginning of time when God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And it was the seventh day that he made holy. And as a side note, and it's no minor side note, there's only one occurrence of the word holy in the entire book of Genesis. And it's in the creation account, chapter 1 and it's in the context of Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day for, for Israel to reflect and remember God and who they were in God. They, had to rem they were to remember that, sab that the Sabbath by resting and keeping it holy from the rest of the, the other days of the week. Now we need to make set-apart time for the Sabbath in our lives as well so that we can remember and reflect on who we are in God in where he has brought us from, and hope in where he is taking us to. And when we do that, it brings us renewal in our lives. See, God is not a God of worry or anxiety. When God created the earth and entered into rest, it wasn't like he was sitting, uh, sitting around thinking, oh, I wonder if the earth is still spinning, you know? He wasn't like, no, no let me go check on it, you know? No, God, what did God do? God sat back and he delighted in the creation. And God himself was refreshed. 
Exodus 31, 17 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God rested. God was refreshed. And it's kind of crazy to think about that the creator of the universe, the creator of heaven, the heavens and the earth, rested and was refreshed. And it was God's choice. God chose to rest. And the beautiful thing about that is that God invites us into that rest. And this is the rest that, that this is the kind of rest that brings uh, renewal. Because it's when we rest, we recover a sense of self, a sense of who we are. Renewal gives us the opportunity to be the best versions of ourselves. And I know that this can feel uh, somewhat counterintuitive because we live in a world where we, we think we have to do more and, and be, be more to be the best versions of ourselves. But for us as God's people, it's by ceasing from our busyness, by resisting the demands and worries of the world that we have an opportunity to replenish our minds, to replenish our bodies, and to replenish our souls. And so Sabbath rest gives us an opportunity to be refreshed and rediscover who we are in Jesus. And so here at Reality, we, say, we usually say that we are a community following Jesus seeking what? Right, five of you got it. <laughs> awesome. We say we are a community following Jesus seeking renewal in our city. And renewal cannot happen without us living into God's rhythms of rest. It's by God's rhythms of rest that we are renewed. Now, another way in which we are set apart as God's special possession is the way in which we live into a culture of honor. Exodus 20:12 says, Honor your father, father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And so why is this important to God and what makes this a challenge? Well, in Mark Rooker's book, uh, In the Ten Commandments, he says this, In the ancient civilizations of world history, the first evidence of a hierarchical structure began in the home with the husband and wife in the family. The family structure laid the foundation for all other forms of authority and obedience within culture. But it is only within the biblical faith that the authority of parents was founded on a divine sanction. For to God, I believe families are holy. Families are the foundation of society. And parents, mothers and fathers, are the nucleus of that family structure. The home is where we begin to learn everything about life. In the Christian home, this is where we learn about God. It's where we are formed and shaped and molded. It's where uh, we are supposed to be protected and cared for and nurtured. And it's also where we're clothed, fed, taught what love is, and we see hopefully what love is supposed to look like. Parents mold our values and our beliefs, and they shape our views and experiences in how we see the world. All of this we learn and experience through our parents first. And if our call as priests are to represent God to the world, this all starts with parents. They are God's very first representatives to children in the home. Honor starts in the home. But here's the challenge. The challenge is that parents are not perfect. And sometimes the hardest place to love is at home with the people who are closest to you. And when we hear something like honor your mother, mother, mother and father, 
it can stir, in, stir up in us a variety of feelings and thoughts. How do you honor your parents regardless of the kind of relationship that you have with them? Well, here's how you do it. Honor starts with obedience, it develops with respect, and will always require grace and forgiveness. And I want to take a moment to just briefly discuss these three points. Honor starts with obedience when we're young. We learn honor as children through being obedient to our parents. And as parents, we're responsible for raising kids up in the way that they should go. We're supposed to teach our kids about God. And our, our kids experience how we, as parents, honor and obey God. And this, this, this teaches them what honor looks like and hopefully sets an example that they'll follow when they get older. We teach our kids how to honor us when we discipline and correct them. But this is also must be done in a way that's loving and filled with grace. And when our kids learn obedience, they learn how to honor. Obedience is the pathway to honor. It's in this process of learning obedience that we are in part made holy. And all of us learn obedience. Israel learned obedience in the desert, and even Jesus himself learned obedience. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9 says, He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Jesus learned obedience. And he did it, he learned obedience through being tested, tests that he hadn't previously experienced, and tests that he passed perfectly. It was through this that he learned obedience and demonstrated honor to the Father. But for us, at some point, we get to an age where we are no longer under our parents' supervision and care. And so my wife and I are in this like kind of weird transitional season in life. We have two kids. My son, Gordon, is almost 15, and our daughter, at the end of this year, I can't believe it, she's going to be 18 years old. So she'll technically be an adult. <laughs> technically. And at some point in the next few years, you know, she may be on her own. Although with the way that rent prices are in San Francisco, <laughs> you never know. But theoretically, um, she could decide to move out and, and be on her own. And when she does, her obedience will no longer be synonymous with honor. And sweetheart, if you're listening, we're not there yet, so don't get too excited. But, but at some point, honor is going to look different. For her to honor us as her parents, it's going to look more like respect. To respect us means that, that she'll give weight to our counsel and our opinions that we're giving her, knowing that everything that we're giving her is coming from a place of love and concern for her well-being. She, she'll know that what we want for her is, is, is only God's best for her life. But it is possible that she'll make decisions that may or may not line up with what we think is best. And as hard as this is as her parent, this is, this is the one that thing that's difficult, that letting go process. But see, then, then we have a role to play. As, as her parents, we need to do our best to respect her decisions. And one day, hopefully, in the far, far distant future, when my wife and I are too old to care for ourselves, 
Honor might look like her and her brother looking after us, at least to the best of their ability. And this is kind of how honor develops. And lastly, honor always requires grace and forgiveness. Like I said before, parents are are not perfect people. Um, We require grace and forgiveness. But also, we need to make it easy for our children to honor us by living honorable lives. And even when mistakes are made, honor will depend and need and require grace and forgiveness. And this goes both ways. Parents will need to give as much grace and forgiveness as well. And grace and forgiveness is not possible without the, with the, without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and forgiveness. It was through his work on the cross that we get, that we get everything that we need to be a holy people. That royal priesthood of people who live into a culture of, of rest and honor. And, and I can imagine that with all the people here in this room today that, that we're all in probably different places in our life um, with our relationships with our parents. Maybe our parents are no longer with us. Um, but wherever you're at, if you're in a place where you have deep hurt in, in broken relationships with your kid uh, or kids, um, or, you know, or maybe going back to the rest conversation, maybe you feel like a slave to your job and that, that you've had that feeling like that things can't go on without you, I want to I want to end with these words that Jesus spoke in Matthew eleven twenty eight. But but I want to share this out of um, the Message translation. And this is Matthew eleven uh, chapter eleven verses twenty eight through thirty. It says, "Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take." a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. God, I know, we know, as your people, that your word is truth. God, we know that you hold all things together and keep all things together. God, we confess that we know this, but there's a disconnect. Somewhere between knowing this truth in our hearts and living this out in our lives, there, there's, there's a gap there. And so we need your grace. We need your help in, 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 we, in, in representing you to the world, Lord. God, we need you and we love you. We ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.